0: and we are live yep this is gonna be a good one. Oh my gosh the great customer success debate is about to happen we're gonna find out just how much these folks agree i've got uh josh greenbaum phil wainwright and bonnie tender wave to the camera everybody uh this is the most guests i've had so this is gonna be a uh, a classic um i'm gonna uh briefly just explain the rules um but customer success i think is a very very potent topic and ultimately the question becomes it matters a hell of a lot to vendors and vendor marketing teams but does it really matter to customers and i'm hoping by the end of this show we'll have a little bit of clarity here uh though if josh gets kicked out of his Airbnb too soon that might be a problem so josh just try to hold off your airbnb stay for a few minutes. <laughs> And we'll get this done. I think we'll be good. Um, excellent. Um, there's a few special rules to this show, uh, which I'm going to explain. It's a special format today. Uh, but the first rule goes for all of my shows, which is uh, the audience is smarter than the panel. So you guys are welcome <laughs> to interrupt us at any point with your snark and your questions. So please do that. Don't hesitate. Uh, and and finally, I just want to say this is Phil Wainwright's debut on my video show. Welcome,
1: Phil, from the UK. <laughs> Uh, pleased to be here, and um, yeah. yeah, I was just trying to work out how to add a comment because because uh, Brent says, "Didn't I just see Phil at Dreamforce?" And yet you did, Brent. Uh, I I flew back to the UK. Uh, well, I arrived this morning. Uh, left San, San Francisco on uh, on Wednesday night. And Phil, if you need to go grab like a some
0: mainline caffeine to inject, that would be into your directly into your veins. That'd be great. Jeff Scott is already snarking on Josh.
2: Which place, Jeff? Which uh, I kicked out of my Airbnb, kicked out of Dreamforce, or kicked off this show? I want to know which one.
0: Special shout out to Brent Leary, who is uh, my video uh, mentor and and a great support to me during the last few months. Thanks, Brent. Always great to see you in the chat. Um, and, and Phil, I just wanted to say uh, it's great to have my colleague Phil Wayman on the show. He's probably influenced my thinking as much as anyone. If you haven't been tracking his frictionless enterprise concepts on Diginomica, you definitely should. Uh, and with that, uh, I want to just briefly tell you the rules of this little... Debate. I wanted to have Phil and Josh here because they wrote posts on customer success that struck me as taking very different angles. And uh, whether they actually disagree is one of the big suspense points here. But I just want to read to you very briefly just to show you a contrast. Phil wrote a piece about value engineering and in in its role in customer success on Diginomica. One of the things he said is helping customers realize the value they're looking for becomes the core goal of the customer success function – rather than simply maximizing adoption and usage. So that's all about field tracking, how we've started to move beyond the the SaaS metrics of things like churn into more customer-focused, outcome-focused metrics, which sounds good to me, much more granular stuff. Then I turn over to to Josh's post, and we're going to share the links to these posts, and I read I think customer success has been a cover-up plain and simple since its inception. It's been a cover-up because the continuing problems across the industry with project implementation success, change management, user acceptance, data migration, and delivery of measurable long-term value tells the story of business as usual. Ouch. So I think this is a really juicy and important topic. And because I really want some help understanding these arguments bonnie tinder of raven intel has agreed to sort of referee this discussion thank you bonnie for that and she'll probably have some data points as well from raven's perspective on this so welcome bonnie for
3: sure thank you
0: so with that what we're going to do is we are going to give phil and josh the opportunity to share what inspired their posts and then we'll have them go through a few of the key points that they believe in and And eventually, we'll get everyone interacting as well. And Bonnie will have some commentary. And I can't wait to see where this goes. So please pop in your questions at any time, your views on customer success. We're not going to be able to do the full origins of the customer success uh, metric movement today. But there's plenty of blog posts out there on that topic as well. So, Josh, since you have to leave early, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Tell me a little bit about... um, what inspired your rant okay can you which by slide. which by the way which by the way is a little bit about zoho as well because you had just right. come off of a zoho analyst event so part of your post is about zoho itself can you pop that slide up oh yeah okay let's see if let's see how we do on it's, the slide yeah. that, that that's sort of a, that's sort of slide.
2: the the ur text of my you know of my rant um,
0: yeah 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 let's see how we do and, uh,
2: and if, Holding share screen uh,
0: window. Uh, I think I have it. Let's see how we do here. Can we see cool. it?
2: Oh, yes. wow. Sure. All right. Okay. So okay. I, I I don't want to spend too much time on this, but this is, this is a data set I've been tracking for a number of years. And this really is formulates a ton of my thinking, which has, has been focused on customer success for lack thereof for a while. And I think this, what this is the story this is telling is that the, the gray and the, the orange lines are the growth of IT spending that's tracked by a couple of the major firms, uh, analyst firms, and this is just publicly available information. Um, So the growth of IT spending is these jagged lines hovering from somewhere almost 10%, that was uh, outgrowth of Y2K at the beginning of the century uh, through the current uh, moment. And then the blue line is the growth in productivity. And this is meant to show that there is on the aggregate, no correlation. We spend a ton of money on IT, and we don't get a whole lot to show for it. And that, of course, we know is 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 a macro view or the micro view. There's a lot of companies that are successful, but but what does that mean? Um, is is sort of and how do you achieve that? Is kind of the big the big question I've been thinking about for a number of years. This particular rant started with yet, and you know, I guess two things. One, showing up at a, at an industry. Conference with a company that that is sort of a virgin in this territory. I'm from the enterprise side; uh, they've been delivering customer success for a long time, but they want to be in the enterprise software space, in the big enterprise software space. And um, I was sort of imagining what what if someone actually really did customer success the way I would like it to be personally, and what would that look like? And, and because fundamentally, you know, there is really this this huge disconnect, uh, particularly. And again, I'm going to talk about You know, I'm talking about large enterprise software projects and and sort of large enterprise SaaS. And I think that's going to be a point of a a fine point in our conversation. There's sort of consumer grade SaaS and and enterprise SaaS. And I think particularly in the enterprise software space, we're just not doing a good job. And all of those customer success executives who've been appointed and and you know and and given the badge and told to do the customer success thing, I, I don't see a whole lot to show for. I just don't see the metrics that are changing anywhere. And I think, you know, Bonnie and I work together. I think Bonnie's data, you know, kind of shows business as usual. So that I just got tired of it and <laughs> thought I would just, I would just throw that, you know, throw a wrench out there and said, Hey, you know, customer success. What are we doing? Cause we ain't achieving the goals.
0: Got it. Uh, now I'm going to paste the links to both the blog posts in the chat. And if you can't uh, See the links. I'm going to also uh, later read the titles, or if you're listening on audio replay, you'll have the titles in a little bit. Uh, but Phil, I get the impression. Do you, do you take, Phil, take I'll down leave the, the s- slide by the way? Okay, I'll take oh, you the slide. Leave it oh, okay. okay, I'll leave it down. I was going to ask Phil if he wanted to comment on it, but oh, okay. Phil, well, Phil it, I, can... I do
1: actually. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, great. But, but I, I don't need the the, the chart there. Okay, cool. I, I mean, you may want to bring it back up, but um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I. I mean, thanks, first of all, for the call out for Frictionless Enterprise, which I've been kind of uh, expanding on in a series of articles over this year. And it's a concept I've been brewing in my mind for like over 10 years now. And one of the premises of Frictionless Enterprise is that, Digital, uh, connected digital technology changes everything, uh, and there's a whole load of assumptions that come from the industrial era. And I think one of them is productivity stats. And and uh, I mean that chart you showed, Josh, is the Bureau of Labour Statistics' uh, perception of productivity. And and I don't think uh, that you know measuring productivity by industrial era. Uh, Uh, statistics uh, in the digital era necessarily gives you a great view um, because I I think one of the things that that statistic omits very substantially is the amount of value being delivered as part of uh, a product. Uh, For example, um, uh, you know, if you spend more time on sustainability and being a more sustainable vendor and having more sustainable products, that may actually mean you look less productive. According to those statistics, but you're still delivering more value that the customer's interested in. So, yeah. so, so, um, but, but on the other hand, I think that, uh, also the industrial era has left us with companies who perceive that all they have to do to satisfy the customer is sell them a product and preferably get out of those fast as possible straight afterwards before they discover that the product doesn't actually deliver the solution that they need. And that's what customer success is all about. And again, the technology gives us the ability to measure customer success in completely different ways now. So so I think, um, but it's still early days. And so the fact that customer success has not made an impact on the statistics that we want to look at is, you know, very it is that it's still kind of a small percentage of what technology vendors and the whole of the rest of the industry is doing at the moment? So I don't think we should we should necessarily dismiss it at this stage of the game.
0: So one quick clarification, Phil. Uh, I get the impression that one of the things you try to do in your posts, and I, I pasted the most recent Diginomica post you did on this uh, in the chat, which was uh, came back when you came back from the gain site. Conference and I thought it was interesting. By the way, that Jeffrey Moore in the keynote also commented yeah. on the KPIs and value engineering and and the role that they play in customer success. In case someone wants to search for that on Diginomica. but I get the impression one of the things you're trying to do in your post is to is to move the customer success conversation away from the traditional. SaaS metrics that started this thing around things like churn and retention, and talk about it in terms of more customer-focused outcome-type metrics, and also ones that are really more about the customer-centric measurement of that rather than the vendor. Is is that part of what you're trying to do
1: in in your posts? Well, yeah, yeah, it it is very much, and I think one of the, I mean, again, the frictionless enterprise thing. Part of that is something which I call the excess. Effect, um, where X stands for everything as a service. And I think it all, it did start with SaaS, uh, in being connected to their customers. SaaS vendors were able to see how their customers were using the product. And that was what gave birth to customer success. They were able to do things like track adoption, track usage. Um, and they realized that customers who were not using their product very much tended not to renew. And so that was a bad thing. And so they invented customer success. Um, but Customer success, the problem with customer success, and, and you know, when I started looking to the, into this a couple of years ago, the reason was I was having conversations with people and I realized that they were using the word customer success, the phrase, meaning something completely different from what I meant by it, because, you know, to me, customer success is customers being successful, but to a SaaS vendor, customer success is, wow, we, we got more revenue out of this customer. So, you know, that, that, that's not actually what customers are interested in. You know, customers do not exist to buy more of your product. Customers exist because they have goals that they want to achieve through purchasing your product. And that's what success should be. Customer success should be measuring the outcomes. I think that some vendors in the SaaS industry and in the wider Excess industry as Cisco moves to everything as a service are starting to understand that, but it's a, still a very small minority. Um, and, and I think that's what we need to get through to get to real benefits out of su- customer success.
3: Well, and even the term success is a little misleading because it actually implies that there's success there as opposed to, you know, in a lot of cases, it's unsuccessful. So this idea of it's really about customer goals and customer value creation, as opposed to, you know, did I sell more here? So yeah, yeah. It's I think it's important to define because it means a million different things to a million different you know organizations.
2: And, and I think one of the problems we can we can really drive drive down to the origins of this. You know, what is a, what is a successful SaaS vendor? Who? How is that success measured? Is I think one of the you know one of the one of the basic problems, and I and I sort of rant about that in my in my post, is that if you know if 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 Wall Street all Wall Street cares about is you know is more sales and frankly, in many cases failed with profits, just do more revenue than then you know and, and the co- and the companies are performing according to that metric. Who is the real customer? And I argue somewhat again, acerbically and maybe not entirely correctly, that in a way, in a certain way they're treating Wall Street and the investor community as the, the most important customer, if all they're doing is executing on this revenue strategy without without you know worrying about what is actually being delivered to the customer. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I
3: ahead, would please. say, Josh, just to 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 underpin that, I mean, on every investor call that you listen in on, the metrics that they use are EBRA, revenue, customer count, those are the things that everybody cares about when the leading indicators to all of those things are, you know, net promoter score, referenceable customers, software adoption, all of these factors that you measure in the customer success function, those are all of the things that, you know, build either a, a positive or negative EBITDA revenue all
1: of those kind of things. So. Yeah, and, and Body, I think that's why it's so interesting that Josh used Zoho as a vendor to talk about because Zoho is a private company. It has no intention ever of listing as a public company. And therefore, it is not constrained to these quarterly reporting windows that distort... Um, the measurements, because at the moment, you know, if your window is only every three months, then you're not going to build long-term relationships. You're, you're, the, you're not incentivized to build long term relationships with your customers in which you may actually, it may be better for the customer to buy less of your product this year in order for them to end up buying more of your product in two years time. But no vendor is incentivized by Wall Street to take that kind of, that kind of, uh, that kind of view.
2: And that's, you know, and that was part of the fantasy of, of you know, a Zoho doing that. I think, you know, and this is, I think, you know, I, I was once asked what is the difference between the kind of analyst I am and the kind of, you know, and a financial analyst. And it's, as Phil was alluding, it's the three month window that I don't have. And I don't think any of us have. We're not looking at three months. What can you do for, you know, customer in three months is what do you, you know, what's the long term? What is, what's, what's, what does it look like two years from now, five years from now? That's what the customer's trying to achieve. And, you know, I think that that's where we we get into a, a bit of a mess. I, I I need to respond to Phil's uh, comment about my chart because I totally agree. You know, these uh, are these are old school. Here we go. Yeah. Well, you know, um, no, But I'm agreeing. The, I'm I'm looking at old school BLS statistics. That's that's capital productivity and labor productivity. Those are those are definitely, you know, mm-hmm. the metrics we have to work with, and that's why I chose them. And to be honest, because they 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 work. Look at that's pretty dramatic spread. Um, And I think that you're absolutely right, Phil. We, and I think this is where we're going, we need better metrics. We need much better metrics and better ways to measure success and a better conversation about success because the one we're having, excuse me, as an industry isn't working. Um, I, I also throw one more thought out there, which is, you know, again, I'm talking about primarily, you know, what, how vendors who sell complex enterprise software are successful for the on, on behalf of their customers. God, I love the way the light keeps shifting in this room. I'm getting um I'm gonna go yeah you look good actually. Is, I yeah like right I, 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 yeah th- those are the prison bars um, that are um, but I, I think you know so to me you know in the world of enterprise software that I'm focused on customer success starts with a successful implementation but only starts. Then you then you go on to what is the total value that's delivered, but it's important. To, it's different than consumer-grade software. So a lot of SaaS software doesn't need a complex implementation. So, and I'm, you know, we've talked about Gainsight. You can look at what Gainsight, a company like Gainsight does. They can jump right in to a much more mature concept for customer success because a lot of the customers aren't Aren't trying to do a big complex implementation they're just they've got good software or software that's SaaS ready for implementation so they can get get the job get to the job of customer success much more fast
0: yeah and i want to take that up with you later josh because that I, I find that kind of a limiting definition of success on some level but I know what you're talking about but that's for a little bit later in the show uh, I I did want to bring up two points I'm not going to spend a lot of time on my views on this but I did harass vendors on Diginomica about this in a post uh, if you do a search on attention uh, vendors please stop the customer success hype train uh, basically I came up with proof points that are impossible for vendors to achieve to to make them be quiet about customer success for a while But uh, the thing that I wanted to bring up about customer success is the reason why I like this topic is I think vendors are pushing it, but it's a bit of a Trojan horse to allow people like us to talk about what really matters. And I don't know if you all have experienced this. I'm pretty sure all of you have, where we've been in vendor sessions where we're able to successfully turn the tables on the vendor when they start bringing this topic up. And what I find is that customers of vendors, when they want to talk about customer success, they actually want to talk about everything pertaining to the vendor relationship so it's not just about measuring new stuff it's about how how it is to interact with your support people how it is to interact with you know your salespeople, uh the licensing agreements all that stuff now gets in my view put on the table and that's why i think it's a very potent topic because vendors quickly lose control of the narrative because once you bring it up people want to redefine it and say well how can you talk about success without talking about how shitty your support is you know Uh, so this is one of the things i really like about this topic um, and, and the other thing I really like is this notion of now that the tools are available to measure stuff all the time, and I think this hits close to home for you, Josh, given a lot of your work on project delivery, then what is the excuse for for screwing up projects where you, you it takes you months to understand that a project is going south when you can be gathering data that allows you to make course corrections? And to me, those are the – besides new metrics, those are the two potent – uh, areas I'd like to get into. And with that, Bonnie, I'd like to ask you just a little bit, if you can share with the audience a little bit about your methodology and how you would work with vendors on this to kind of help them with this issue of of taking the pulse of customers. H- how do you do that?
3: Yeah. So we look at customer success in um, a uh, implementation. Um, implementation is a moment that matters significantly in the life. A uh, cycle of a, a customer, uh, I would argue to say it's the most important moment because that sets the tone for the relationship, um, good or bad, for the life um, of of that customer. So we look very closely at the success of an implementation, and um, you know, if there's a partner involved, most of the the uh, implementations that we look at do have a partner-led implementation we look at standard measurements, things like, you know, was the project done on time, on budget? What was the satisfaction with the partner, with the project, with the vendor? Um, You know, we look at some of those standard, um, you know, measurements, but then we ask deeper questions. Did you get the value that you thought going in, Um, you know, and to what extent was that value delivered? Was it partial value um, was it full value? Did you go backwards in some cases? We have—that's a really important one. We ask questions about the team involved. Did the team stay intact? Did they change um, throughout the course of the project? Those are huge leading indicators that um, there's something that went wrong. Um, and you know, typically when there's churn on the team or there's change orders during the course of a project, all of a sudden we see satisfaction in decline as well. So those are like the standard sort of metrics that we look at. Um, And then certainly we want to understand, okay, in terms of lessons learned, the specific goals that you had, um, you know, with the scope of this project, you know, what, what, what was the outcomes of those? And that's different on every client. And I I go through this long list of of things that we look at um, to show that, you know, we can ask those standard questions and then benchmark a variety of types of implementations and have sort of a standard set of metrics about the hygiene of a project, and say, you know, was this successful or not? Um, but, you know, we can look at a project whether it was a small module or full blown install, and we have some relative sort of um, KPIs to understand. With that said, then, we also have, you know, the more valuable metrics, which is the lessons learned and things like that that we look at. All of this to say, you know, what we look at is completely from the customer side of things. And I think that that's a really important factor. It's one thing to judge customer success using the lens of the vendor themselves or the vendor relationship manager. It's yet another to get the information directly from the client. And that's what's most important to us is that authenticity that you get when it's feedback direct from the client. Um, And so a a, a vendor is able to look back at that point in time, that implementation and really have a good set of metrics to say, okay, where is this relationship go from here? And, um, I think there's a, a lot of power in having that information independently tracked as well.
0: I don't want to put off Joel's question any longer. Uh, this is really a, I guess a little bit for Josh, but is this a C, CX, uh, CS or a product issue or have we oversold in the sales process? Wow, that's, there's a lot to work yes. there. Yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think, um, yes, it, it, we are overselling and, you know, to, to, you know. look, uh, at the end of the day, my view and I think that, you know, again, we're, we're, we're looking at this from ourselves from a bunch of different perspectives but I think at the end of the day, you know, you have you have these, these basic fundamental problems. One of them is Wall Street. The other is sales culture and sales culture, particularly in field sales culture, which is fueled by the Wall Street mentality of what did you do from this quarter and that's all that matters, is going to do, you know, make make a lot of false promises It's going to bring on the wrong partner or just the partner, the name brand partner at big GSI, because they know that will help make the sale because those folks who are also not held accountable, in my opinion, we can start pointing fingers at them anytime you want I'm ready to go uh, locked and loaded there, but they, you know, they, 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 they muck it up. So yeah, it's a, it's a sales problem. It's a customer support problem. It's a perception problem. Um, and and I want to um Oh, there's, hello, Timo. Good to see you. Um, what up, Timo? we have we, got, got the Europe thing going on. If, if we you do. You can say you're from Europe now. Um, the, the, the other problem fundamentally I want to point fingers where they need to be pointed is with the customers themselves. And I hate to say it, but they're part of the problem. And right. I, I I I'll drop that there because I think uh, you probably want to run around with that at some point too. I yeah, I can you,
1: pick up on that, John. Actually, um, oh please if, do. If now is a good time, because um, yeah. uh, but but I think the other thing that is at fault is the entire way that enterprises are siloed uh, and people don't talk to each other and and, uh, and 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 this needs to be much more joined up. And you're not going to get success customer success truly happening unless you get that joined up thing. And one example of that, because when Bonnie was talking, I was thinking that one of the most important things in customer success is is to make sure you're talking to the right people when you're measuring it. Um, And uh, Jeffrey Moore made a very uh, perceptive comment in in his presentation uh, on customer success at the Gainsight Conference. So so he was basically saying, well, if you're really going to make customer success be about business value realized, then you have to link customer success back to the salespeople who rationally spoke to the executives who commissioned the project to achieve a particular business goal. Because what often happens, typically, is that the salespeople hand off the, the, the sale to an implementation team and then there's a customer success team and the customer success team will this is Jeffrey Moore's point will go into the customer and say well what are your goals from this uh, for, for, from using our product and the people they're speaking to actually don't know anything about the conversation the sales had with the, with the CXO team and they basically say well no I've got no idea I've just been told to implement this and, and get it working um, and so Bonnie can survey those IT people and say, you know, was it successful? And the IT people will say, well, the implementation didn't particularly work very well. But we managed to fix it in the end because the support team were not as shit as, they, as we thought they might be. Um, and the business can still not be successful because the whole implementation doesn't actually achieve the business value that people originally thought they were buying. Uh, and so you've got to join up that whole process. And this is what some of the vendors that – um, that, that, that are most mature in their use of customer success are starting to realize now they've actually got to go all the way from the, the the business value case that's made in the beginning and link through what they've delivered and how the customer is using it because as josh says the customer is responsible for failure as, as much as success uh, very often um, are the cu- is the customer actually getting the value that they originally anticipated
0: Right. Um, Timo says it's all about incentives. Show me the sales comp plan and I can tell you what will go wrong. I think that comes back to this question of how you measure this properly using the wrong metrics. Uh, And then Joel's saying, I wonder how many times customer service hears sales said, pointing to (laughs) Phil's disconnect uh, silo land there and how you – Josh, I know silos always perks you up, so Um, (laughs) – Josh, I, I felt like in your post you were a little bit torn between trashing customer success as a useless exercise, and and but then maybe saying no, we actually have to radically redefine it instead. Um, have you have you resolved that internal identity conflict or?
2: <laughs> no, the answer is no. We need to, you know, we need to embrace it, and and maybe the first thing we need to do is take it out in the backyard and shoot it. Um, uh, but
0: <laughs> excellent. Um, that's, that's pretty graphic. Okay. Thank um, you.
2: Well, you should see that i have been I'm in Oregon. You know, things okay. are different here. Um, no, but I, I. think I think it's really it's. I want customer success to succeed, and I really mean that. On the other hand, and I use this term, uh, I, which I created reluctantly, customer successing. See, you know, like greenwashing and whitewashing. Often it's just you know it's 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 a lot of hooey. It's bullshit. Let's just call it what it is, and that that doesn't do anybody any good it, except if you're a Wall Street investor and you feel good like the company you know just like you're greenwashing, you feel good, pat yourself on the back, you, you got you check that box. Um, but I think you know and I, I think that we really need to to focus on it by and, and you know and and part of the way to do that is to unfortunately you're going to have to break a lot of a lot of lot of cultural norms in the process wall street's death grip on on sales and sales you know kowtowing to wall street are two of the biggest problems we have to we have to fix first and i don't know if we can you know that's the other problem that's why again i sort of picked on soho because they they don't have that problem maybe they can be the ones to do this uh to to really because otherwise you know everyone is sort of beholden to this investor-led thought process um it's hard to break
0: Right. Although I would like to think that publicly traded companies can push back a little harder and provide more aggressive guidance on what they're actually trying to do for their customers in the long term, rather than just simply be beholden because obviously not every company is going to be Zoho, right? Zoho can chart a unique uh, path here, but a lot of companies can't. So let's see what Maureen has to say. We may not need to radically redefine it, but we need to start pulling effectiveness data in from the other functional areas. Can't just look at success in a silo bonnie we're about uh we're a little more than halfway through this conversation depending on when josh gets kicked out of his airbnb um what what is your um what is what have we missed anything so far what is your take on how far we've gotten here
3: yeah what i would say i love maureen's comment that she just made and it's not even just pulling the data in from other functional areas um you know customer success is is definitely not a silo and I think even within customer success, you have multiple you know, ways to track that success that's in silos. So being able to synthesize um, the customer experience, you know, a single place, I think that's really important from, and, and also to understand, you know, and John, to your point earlier, my executive buyer, Phil, I think you mentioned this, my executive buyer um, may have one set of you know, values that they want delivered versus the IT group, which is running the project have yet another, you know, which of those, you know, stakeholders do we serve here? Um, and, you know, or, or is it both? And I think just um, synthesizing all of those goals, putting them into a single place to and, and measuring those against, you know, reality is, is important. But, I, you know, this idea of, of breaking down all the silos of data, I think, is is a real key.
1: Yeah, and I I, I think um, that was something that really uh, kind of concerned me. I was talking to to a lot of vendors, really saying, "Well, how do you measure success, and how do you how do you keep it on track?" And and what I discovered is that if you talk to them, the the very advanced progressive vendors in customer success, um, they're really establishing very concrete kpis which can be measured so Salonis, i spoke to who actually they don't have a customer success um uh department they have a customer value department they, they they talk in terms of value so so what they will do is as part of the sales process they will get the customer to identify uh some specific metrics um very often typically financial metrics which they can go back to in a year's time, and by which they can judge the success or not of the uh, of the implementation. Uh, so that's kind of uh, a really. Uh, uh, a a, a really strong tie to be able to, and it's something that can go to Timo's point, can go into incentives as well. You know, the salesperson can get incentivized based on to what extent those KPIs were met a year down the road compared to to the promise that the salesperson sold. Um, uh, Cooper do this as well in, 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 in the procurement space where they do things like, you know, what are your goals in terms of reducing the time it takes to process a purchase requisite or the amount of uh, spend that you have under management through, through our system? What is the percentage of total spend going through, through, through our system? So um, the, the problem, I think, is that's great when you have something that can be measured very easily in financial terms. It's more difficult with something like productivity, which, as we discussed earlier, is impossible to measure. Right. Can I, I, I?
2: I'd like to. Maureen's made a couple of really interesting comments about silos, and I want to jump in on that because I think, you yeah. know, there the, part of the problem with the world today is that we've really um, we, we've really and we we've created an an enterprise software market which is of buying about silos. The vendors sell product in siloed fashions. They they sell an ERP to the SAP ERP folks over here and to the Oracle ERP folks over here. The CRM folks are somewhere else. The procurement is over here in a completely different department. They don't talk together. And yet more and more modern SaaS software requires that the technology underpinning become integrated that these silos don't remain siloed at least from a technical and, and process standpoint. So so right away, we're already in a, in, a, in a place where success from a software implementation standpoint depends on a function called silo busting that itself is often unsuccessful. So so it it turns into sort of a, a, you know, worst case scenario all around. You've got silos, you need to break them, you can't break them, so therefore you can't be entirely successful. And in fact, what then happens is success looks differently. If if you can build that integrated end-to-end process, success is going to be completely different for each stakeholder depending on what piece of the pie, what part of the elephant that they're involved in. So it becomes a an extremely hard thing to scale. But I think at the end of the day, you know, we need to, to ask the customer, the stakeholder, what, what is their definition and stop relying on these, these external vendor, you know, this is how I measure it. Because I think that's, that's where, the, that's where the problem begins primarily.
1: Um, Mm. But John, I can see you're waiting to say something. I got. Uh, so I know, go ahead and respond on. and we'll get anyway. to
0: Timo's comment. Go ahead yeah. and respond and uh, be, we'll get to be, Timo's.
1: Be, because, because I think, you know, we have to talk about the customer's responsibility here. It, you know, there, there is there is not a lot of point in being successful in implementing inappropriate technology or in automating broken processes. You can successfully do that and still have a company thats uh, that, that is a wreck. Um, and and uh, and i think that too many technology vendors will just say to the customer um well yes okay we will implement this for you we will implement it really well and 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 then you know move on to the to the next customer um uh, whereas I, I think a smart technology vendor will actually say, and this, you no, know, I've heard customer success people at Salesforce, for example, uh, talking about this. Sometimes you've got to be brutally honest with the customer and say, well, you know, maybe have you thought about doing it this way? Because if you do it that way, you may not achieve the same level of success that if you actually approach it in a different way. Um, and so I think part of customer success, which is going to be very difficult for some vendors to get to, and and some customers to accept is actually saying, well, Mr. Customer, based on what we see other companies in your industry doing, really, this is a better way to do than what you've got planned out.
0: Right. And just to interject here on that, uh, uh, when I wrote my Attention Vendors Customer Success Challenge piece, Josh issued a really good kind of a yeah. rebuttal, but in a really good way that reframed it around the customer perspective. He called it Attention Customers, you're responsible for vendors' customer success efforts, too. I'm going to paste a link to that in the chat, but I thought that was a really essential Post as far as sort of delineating what some of the customer responsibilities are, because Josh, I don't think we can cover like all of that post here because it was a pretty elaborate undertaking on your part. But what was there? Was there a core thing you wanted to get across there? Because I think that was pretty important.
2: Well, I I guess the core thing I want to get across is uh, the thing that shocked me the most about my startup ProQ, which is trying to measure you know the implementation process, is. How widespread the Stockholm sen- syndrome was with with customer executives, and they you know they really got used to failure and and baked it into the model. And to the extent that you know, I just one of the it was the biggest mistake I ever made as an analyst. I think that if I could fix this problem with you know with implementation success with a simple survey tool, then everyone would flock to it because of course they don't want to keep screwing it up. But actually. Turns out a lot of people, how, you know, that's the way to the You crumbles. Tell me what the other problem is, because that one I'm not interested in solving. So I, I, I think that was that's a lot of the foundation of that ramp Was hey y'all, you know, you got you got, got to get in the game too, or or stop, you know, stop the fact that it's not working.
0: Josh, your audio's warbling a tad on my end, but uh, but I know you have to go fairly soon anyway. Uh, Timo to- says. Timo says, sorry if you already covered it, but the biggest and most important shift for me as someone who cares deeply about customer success has been the move to cloud subscription pricing. No success equals no renewal, and it's
2: been a great antidote to drive-by sales dumps. Comment. i got. I got to take that. I've got to take that. Sorry, Timo. With all due respect, the data does not show any shift in implementation success in the aggregate since the dawn of SaaS. We took the data from the, the on premise days, you compared it to the data from SaaS days, we're still having the same failure rates.
1: Yeah, but I think that is because the and and this is another point I like that Jeffrey Moore made. But no, it wasn't Jeffrey Moore who made this point. It was it was Nick uh, Nick Meta who's the CEO of Gain, Gainsight. He was basically saying, well, in the beginning, the SaaS industry, all the executives had come from the on-premise software industry. They they'd been selling licensed software. They'd been doing on-premise software projects, and they took a similar mentality in of you know focusing on closing deals. Um, and it was and it took like 10 years and actually the the the, uh, the, the recession of uh, 2008 um for them to actually realize that all well, renewal was actually something they should also be chasing and so and that's led to the evolution of customer success so I think we're still in early days but to timo's point um i think it's not just to, it, it is important that success is about encouraging renewals, um, and it goes back to my point about not selling broken processes to, 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 to the customer, that, um, that okay, you can sell more this year by selling them the stuff that you've got, but will that make them successful? If, if you sell to your customer something that will make them more successful, more profitable as a business in three years' time, then they will be buying more stuff from you in three years' time. Than, uh, than if you sold them a pile of crap this year. So, so I mean, I think that, con- and it's not just every, it, you know, it is that continuous engagement with the customer that actually I think forces a more long-term thinking from vendors um, and is an antidote to the, the kind of short-termism of Wall Street. I just want to quickly point out that that
0: part of the issue here is that in the enterprise space, SaaS doesn't so remove the problem of vendor lock-in, and you know renewal is not ultimately totally a choice the way it is in consumers, where you're like, oh, I'm going to switch to Netflix from you know Disney Plus or whatever, which is like I can do that in. in 15 minutes and i can switch my cell phone provider in a weekend you know you, you can't do that with enterprise SaaS software and so i think renewal wallet can be a, a motivating incentive is simply not enough to overcome some of the lock-in tendencies in, in my view um so josh i wanted to challenge you on one thing that i think is kind of interesting because in your post you juxtaposed the more modest goals of of pure SaaS, like greenfield of they don't the customers know they're not getting all the bells and whistles Um, migrate to standard have no data or migrations to manage you can be successful relatively early and then you contrast that with the the, you know the much deeper migrations of an on-prem system for example like a massive overhaul which is much more difficult to succeed in and measure Mm -hmm. i think that's a good contrast but my only thing when i read that post was i was a little bit disappointed i think that's a very limited view ultimately i mean i know you want products to be successful but that's a pretty limited view of what SaaS can do for a customer i mean to me like if that was all SaaS software could do i don't think i'd want to work in this industry because that's pretty boring to me oh yeah we, we 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 implemented some standard processes and did okay you know i i hope we can i hope we can be a little more ambitious about how we serve our customers i mean i remember um uh a few years ago being in a, a coupa session where customers started talking about how within the context of their software they were getting aggregated information that was showing them exactly where they stood compared to other customers and it was a tortoise in the hair concept where you could quickly see like yeah you're slow you know like you're a tortoise on that you're behind and and they were talking about how valuable that was to see it at a glance and i'm thinking like wow like isn't that what these vendors should have always been doing if they could have done it or would have done it or had the will to do it to help us do that like embedding that into the software to help us guide and understand what we're doing and figure out how we're screwing up in real time and, and to me like like i want to talk about a more ambitious version of SAS than just oh yeah we got a vanilla project over the finish line in three months and now our, we you know we can we can do our invoicing better
2: but, right. I mean, I, I, you know, I I use it, I put that in because in all fairness, I mean, I was talking about how implementation still sucks, As you know, as I just yeah, said yeah, yeah. in reaction to Tino's comment. And yeah, of course, there are, there are places where it doesn't. And, and these, you know, these net new pure public cloud SaaS implementations of, of complex enterprise software generally fit that bill. And I, you're absolutely, you know, <clears throat> as I said in the beginning, the implementation is just the of the success journey right so so i hope that we don't stop there and say well it was flaming success yeah, yeah, yeah. we got it over the finish line that shouldn't be that shouldn't be the end point i i'm bonnie i just what can you back me up do you have data on uh can you talk about the you know the the ERP, the, the old on-premise versus cloud world a little bit in terms of success because I, I don't want to be out alone on that you know on that rant.
0: Josh versus Timo, uh,
1: the
2: grudge. No, match. no, 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 never Josh versus Timo. That wouldn't be a fair fight.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, in all of the the implementations that we have looked at, so 2000 plus, um, you know, we see, um, yeah, you know, about 50% that come in on time, on budget, um, you know, plenty of those that failed to meet the the goals intended. Um, and this is not, you know, 100% the fault of, you know, the partner or the vendor. A lot of times this is the expectations of clients that weren't realistic going into it. So I think we see similar issues that plague a cloud implementation as we we did the old on-prem stuff sure, probably less customizations, um, but same issues as it relates to readiness.
0: Timo's saying, uh, might the expectations of success have evolved over time too? I think hope organizations are more demanding than they were in the past. And that might explain why the success rate hasn't gone up even as we're quote unquote doing better.
2: But we're certainly selling the more complex things and saying, yeah, we're going to do more for you. So yeah, you know, if you don't if you don't move the needle in both, you know, on both sides of the equation, you're not gonna, you're not gonna fix the problem. Phil is sitting there with something to say. Clearly,
1: yeah. Phil's well, got I'm not, I'm not really sitting there with something to say. I'm, i I'm, I'm just. I mean, what went through my mind was, oh, so the goalposts have moved, so that's why you're not succeeding. But I mean, I think, um, I mean, there is some merit in 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 that, and perhaps the takeaway is that you you never reach success that it's, it, it is a destination that is constantly moving um, because customers are being demanding. And yeah, the technology industry is catching up from a long way behind where it ought to be. Um, but, uh, but, but I don't think you will ever reach a point where you can rest on your laurels and say, all our customers are successful. Um, we do not have to worry about customer success anymore because it's baked in.
2: You know, that's One just thing. like parenting, by the way. Um, I just dropped well, my daughter yeah. off at, on the first day of college yesterday. Yeah. Okay, we got to that six. We got her to college. <laughs> no, yeah, Now let's keep now we got to you know, move from there. So yeah, I think I think the concept of continuous success measurement is really a good one to, to add to the equation.
0: Alright, so we have some we've achieved a little bit of a consensus on a topic there around continuing success measurements and the the opportunity and challenges that poses for both vendors and customers. So I feel like we've accomplished something in this hour. Oh, and we also have a verb customer successing just for everyone who's watching that they can use. So uh, if for some reason, you missed a meeting, uh, or an important event, just say you were customer successing that day. and, And Josh has you covered. I,
1: I think josh meant that as a, derog- as, a as a derogatory comment didn't he? it's a derogatory. never comment. customer successing <laughs> i i'm not i i, I think ah, it, it's darn you know it's kind of milling about looking as though you're doing something rather well than actually achieving something yes um, indeed
2: yeah
0: josh i want to hit on one more thing from your post because you basically i'm not going to quote it because i won't be able to find it real quick but you basically hammered the notion of providing vendors providing their own numbers you basically said uh, and I'm paraphrasing. If your numbers aren't independently audi- audited, then shut up. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on, on on that? That's a pretty hard stance in terms of of sharing your customer success numbers. Can you elaborate on that?
2: Well, you know, I, I'll start with the fact that you know every every large partner, every and pretty much every vendor has always measured how things are going. They've always said that we have survey, we do surveys. Oh yeah, we survey the customer all the time. There's a zillion data points out there, none of which have changed anything. So, you know, I start from the fact that, yeah, you all been doing this for a while and you've never gotten anywhere with your own measurements. So yeah, shut up and, you know, let someone else do it. But more importantly, you know, there's a certain vendor I'm not gonna pick on in in public because I do that all the time anyway. But you know, if you you self-publish, Data that's fundamentally flawed, and use that in your marketing campaigns to make yourself look better than the than the competition. You're you're deceiving the market, and I think that's the other reason to shut up and get someone else. But finally, and I you know, and I'm gonna this is why why I love what Bonnie and Bonnie and Raven Raven Intel does because it's it's incontrovertible when it's the voice of the customer. There's just no other story to tell when you've got the customer's voice and. And, and, and the customer doing it freely without you know without the disincentive of having the vendor looking over the shoulder without the vendor email saying, you know please fill out this anonymous survey. Uh, I will pick on Tom Siebel because he used to do that at Siebel all the time and he had this completely bullshit survey that was gamed precisely, thanks Brent that was gained precisely to make it impossible for the customer to say anything but yeah, great job. So I'm I'm I don't think the credibility is there. I think they gotta have the third party. We we have we have all kinds of third party services, consumer reports, you know, et cetera, that are doing this because fundamentally it shouldn't be the job of the vendor to self report.
0: Uh, Bonnie, I just wanted to ask you in terms of your data on this. Do do vendors do vendors embrace the challenge of the kind of data you provide because I would think in some level working off customer data points can also be very intimidating for a vendor. Is is there some culture change there that has to happen on the vendor side to be open to that data?
3: Without a doubt. And um so there are some that embrace it, run toward it, um, and are looking um at this as a as a way to get better. There are some that are um, antagonistic to it, quite frankly. Um, and this idea of, you know, keeping the customer experience closely guarded under wraps, this idea of getting reviewed mm-hmm. to some vendors, um, is, is it creates a lot of trepidation and, you know, I think that signals some, you know, perhaps some s- skeletons in the closet, but we have vendors come to us all the time and ask us to delete reviews and, um, uh, you know, every single review that we have is verified by multiple human hands, and we know exactly who wrote it and and that it's legitimate. And you know, you know, it's it's we don't take down reviews either. And I think it's it's pretty telling um, when we have have those uh, firms coming to us and asking to be be taken off that you know, that they do not stand by customer success and um, do not embrace this idea of, um, you know, showcasing what they're doing for clients.
1: Mm. I I find myself torn here because I think whenever there's an accepted third party kind of um, uh, rating or something, then inevitably vendors end up Gaming it, you only have to look at great places to work, for example. So, I mean, I. I um, but on the other hand, I, I think you know it. It is useful for. It is kind of um, uh, a way of judging a vendor to see whether they're open to that or not. Because, as you say, Bonnie, if they're not, they probably have something to hide. Um, uh, so, so there is that. But I think the other thing that was going through my mind was that surely the best measure of customer success is, you know, how many of your customers are successful? You know, are, the, are, are all of their revenues going up, all of their margins improving? Um, are you actually helping them to be better businesses? You know, whatever the, me- the metric is that is public and be seen, can be seen in your customers' performance. Maybe that's the way to judge this. Though, though,
2: that's complicated because if you're in a heavily regulated industry where you get you literally get shut down if you fail some process, and you just implemented software, you know that allows you not to fail that process. That doesn't mean you've improved dramatically from the soft from the implementation of software. It only means that you've 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 checked a ba- very basic box. I'm not violating a regulation because the software doesn't allows me to not violate it. So. I think, pure, you know, again, we're back to what the hell is the definition of success. I think that's that's a thing we need to build a think tank around because uh, we've got a lot of different versions of that coming up.
0: Uh, Tracy makes an interesting point about the role of the partner. Uh, she thinks 90% could be managed with clear expectations and holding the scope line. It's a delicate dance. You want to be flexible, but you have to rely on the SOW. Even if there are no cost change orders, you need a little rigor to protect both sides.
2: I think 90% of all human conflict can be handled by meeting and setting expectations, end of story. So yeah, I agree.
0: So I think we got some. We, we, we made some progress in today's discussion. I wanted to see if we can build on that progress by agreeing, uh, are there any next generation KPIs that we actually like? Uh, put, put aside all the standard SAS metrics, which can be useful to a point. Obviously, one of the big points in this discussion was that KPIs are largely, should be engagement-driven. That was one of the key points in Phil's post, was that the value engineering part is is doing that with the customer. So every customer is going to want to define their own. But are there any KPIs that are standing out that are closer to the mark in terms of what customers really care about? I,
1: I, <laughs> Can I well I, I'm gonna go in a slightly different direction in answer to that question because okay. one thing I that struck me about Zoho specifically is that they have this concept of um of of uh, trans what is it transnational localism. Yep. Um and uh, and and they're kind of um they're investing in local offices and recruiting locally in areas where they do business. Um, and and to me that's interesting because that's like the vendor is investing not just in their customers but in the success of the communities where their customers operate, um, and so that that I found kind of intriguing because in a sense that's good for business at the end of the day because you know if if you're helping that community be more prosperous the businesses that serve that uh, community will grow and uh, and and so in the end you sell more software.
3: I would say for for me a, a huge um, indicator of success is likelihood to be doing business with this firm in a year from now. It's one of the questions that we ask in you know our survey is how likely are you to either purchase more software or you know rehire this partner for another uh, project? I think those are huge indicators to whether a client felt like they got. The value from something, so that would be a big one for me.
2: I need a comment on Tracy's. Can you put Tracy's list
1: Yeah, last I last like one? Tracy's comment.
2: Right. Well, and honestly, Tracy, I tried to do that. <laughs> you know, and and the problem is, is you know, everybody thinks transparency and accountability are brilliantly great idea until you say, well, that applies to you too. And then they go, well, that's what I mean
0: about the, that's what I mean by the way about the Trojan horse nature of this topic and why I like it. Cause you can turn it back on. It's tricky.
2: No, but you know, I had this, you know, the vendors ran like hell the SIs in general, you know, put up, put up a fight. Um, But the customers didn't want it either. There's also, and there's legal issues as well, because if you're going to measure those things at the customer set, you, you are going to have to start collecting data about, Employees, that becomes a complicated thing to collect because if you're eventually measuring what could be a, the failure of an employee to engage properly in a process, you are now you know you know you got a works council if it's in Europe uh, and maybe a newly empowered union and if it's this country uh, now you got them on your back. So I think I think I want the customer to be to be respond more responsible. And I think that's, that's a really that because that was what shocked me again, we I could measure all day long the, the net cost of failure in any for any organization and actually show them where they just poured money out the door and they still didn't want this. They still were scared of having those kind of measurements in in the in process, they were much happier measuring After the fact, like Bonnie's process or, 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 you know, or holding the vendor and the SI accountable, just don't hold me accountable too.
0: Let me get a few uh, comments in the audio record. Tracy says this is controversial, but it would be cool to see metrics on client engagement, following process, doing sufficient testing, and investing in change management. I think a lot of people would fall down on that last one. Also, Can I pick up
1: on that, John? Don't forget
0: about end-user training. She says maybe we should encourage good behavior.
1: Yes, Phil, go ahead. Well, I, I mean, I just want to say a customer success team that is not helping its customer... Uh, avoid mistakes is not doing its job properly. Um, because at the end of the day, if the customer is is going to um, is, is going to uh, is going to do things which which mean they don't get the full benefit of the software, then um, then they're ending they're going to end up not renewing or not thriving as a business. So customer success has got to do that, and they've got to find ways of doing that. That that obviously um, uh, you know it can be a delicate conversation.
0: Right. A couple more audio comments for the record. Timo says it's hard to measure, but I think thriving community ecosystem is a potential useful proxy for customer success. I can certainly say this. I believe it's increasingly factoring into buying decisions in a variety of ways that are both easy and hard to document depending on the situation. But I think it's a really important point. Tracy says the truth is controversial. Maybe we just posted the gold star folks to model the way. Well, yeah, gold stars all around to the panel today. I guess we're getting into closing thoughts. <laughs> Josh, you're still there, man. I was hoping we get some footage of like...
2: Uh, no, 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 I actually... Getting I getting is,
0: is escorted to the curb here.
2: No, I set up an electric fence on the perimeter and, they're, you know, they're writhing in pain right now trying to scale it. So we're, we're safe for another another minute or two. Um, so my closing thought before I do get, you know, the, the hook is... You know, I think that we need to, as an industry, really continue this dialogue about what is the measurement of success. I think that that, to me, the my takeaway from this is that we we've got four people here and and some brilliant commentators on the on the chat, and we're all sort of not really fixed on one core definition of success. And thank you. You're welcome, Tracy. Thank you for your comments because I think that's where we need to start. I think we need to get this. You know, we need to get this stuff um, nailed, but we got to nail, nail it. Like everything in the world of metrics and analytics, we got to start with, do we have consensus on what we're actually measuring?
0: Uh, Brent Brent wants you to sing, Josh. I'm not sure where that's coming from exactly, but... Oh, you don't? Uh,
2: <laughs> Brent, Brent, I only do that on your show, dude. Sorry.
1: Phil, final words? Well, final words, I would just say this is very early in the, in the majority of, 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 customer success. I would say there are only a handful of companies really doing a great job. Uh, and, um, and, and, and most companies have, have barely started. So, um, so watch this space. I, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going to develop over the next few years and we need to carry on talking about it and writing about it.
3: Oh yeah. Bonnie. Um, I think customer success needs to be less squishy and more data driven. That would be my final thought.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Hell yeah. yeah. And if you have it in your job title, get ready for trouble. Cause we're going to pick on you.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I, as if I hadn't already.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. Can yeah. a single person be responsible for customer success? I love that nope. customer success, Titan King lead, uh, uh a, a bit of housekeeping, uh, I don't usually do disclosures on this video show, but uh, we, we mentioned a number of Diginomica partners and non-partners on the show, but Zoho is a Diginomica partner. Judge that for what you will. Th- Josh is the one at fault because he wrote a blog post about Zoho, and Josh isn't financially connected to Diginomica, but whatever. Zoho is a Diginomica partner. Uh, tr- Tracy likes the um, the, the squishy uh, metrics. Yeah, that... that <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's definitely where we should go from here, I think, is the most vague metrics possible. Um, I, I did want to say a couple things. I think um, we're measuring the wrong things for the most part. So one big thing today was better KPIs, customer-driven KPIs defined by the customer. Um, and then um, that notion of independent auditing and supervision, adult supervision and independent supervision, I think is so vitally important. Uh, through all phases in in a project and beyond right like you really I think need a voice in the mix that is not driven by the primary financial relationships if you're going to get anything done and then we have this unresolved question of how publicly traded companies can handle the tension between these long-term goals and short-term investor pressures and I think that would take us another hour to get through that one so but wow what a what a good one that was fine we miss anything.
2: The, just we the did, fact, I, think, well, I, I think Bonnie's glasses are matching her blouse, which is, is that possible?
3: <laughs> yeah. I just um, noticed that. I <laughs> that.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. I, that is a completely non sequitur, but. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh,
3: I,
1: I I think Bonnie's background is great as well. I think the whole composition is, uh, deserves compliments.
3: I, I get a good customer success rating for this. All right.
1: Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Absolutely and Phil thanks for making it through man I'm I'm
3: sure Yeah, yeah. Getting impressive there after
0: your jet lag of a week there you probably crash hard after this Yeah yeah definitely going to crash now More digital should mean more measurement and less squishiness uh, Brand I think that's a good good note to end on let's be less squishy and more, yeah. more precise in, in how we do things. Thanks, all. This was a blast, and thanks, Thank uh, Brent, also for welcoming me back. Uh, it has been a while. Had to overcome some things, but hopefully, the show will be a little more regular this fall. It's amazing how much effort it takes to create a totally unscripted show, um, but that's a whole other story. Thanks, everyone.
2: <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. It's been a great one. Good Good to really see, see you all. Bye. Bye. Have a great Bye. weekend. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.